everyone, it's Baba Craney with This Month in Realty, and today I'm super happy to be starting something we're doing where we're going to do some group sessions here. These are all people I know across the country, and if you have a referral that you, like, let's say you're moving from Dallas and you're moving to the Annapolis area, we got people for you. If you're moving to Queens, New York, we got people for you. You're moving to Savannah, Georgia, we got people for you. So let's, let's just open the dialogue up here. These are all friends of mine. These are great professionals in the industry. I would just like them to go around and introduce themselves. And then we're just going to chat about the industry for a bit. So let's start with Anne. Hi, good morning, everybody. Thanks, Bob. So I am Anne Aquaviva. I am with eXp Realty and I live and work in Queens, New York, uh, primarily Bayside Whitestone Flushing. It's Queens County. Uh, location is approximately 10 miles out of Manhattan, and it's a very, very strong market here um, at this point. We are starting to see somewhat leveling off. Average price point is about a million dollars. Um, absorption rate right now is probably just over three months. Uh, it's very fast paced, which is why I really like it. Uh, but it's interesting. There's a lot of banter right now about somewhat of a pullback. So absorption rate was one month, uh, about three months ago, and that's up. So are the listings. So it'll be very interesting uh, going forward what we'll see. But I did have a call yesterday with a whole group of colleagues from different brokerages. Everybody's kind of seeing the same thing here in New York. Um, there's some concerns, some fear, but you know we just roll with it for now and um, we'll have to see what happens. Okay, great. So, so next, let's go to Kevin Thomas. Hey, Kevin Thomas here from Savannah, Georgia, um, and I'm with Keller Williams Realty. Uh, right now, the market is still very strong in Savannah. We are finding that people are relocating from all over the country to come to Savannah, selling their properties um, in the north, in California, in the Midwest, everywhere, and taking advantage of the uh, more moderate home pricing and the great weather here. And so we have more people moving here than people that are leaving, uh, which is causing uh, uh, inventory crisis. We have, last I checked, we had about th uh, three weeks worth of inventory on the ground and homes are selling usually within uh, three to five days. And in most cases, you know, Five to fifteen thousand above list price, so it's super competitive. Uh, but uh, we are helping people find homes as long as they're flexible. Um, one another caveat to our community is we have two military bases here: mm. um, Fort Stewart, which is the largest military installation east of the Mississippi. So we have a lot of military coming in, uh, and then we have a, another smaller base in Savannah. So. On top of people relocating um, that aren't military, we have you know tons of military coming in and out all the time. So it makes it very uh, active and um, sometimes a little stressful. But <laughs> but it's a uh, but it's beautiful here in Savannah. So that's why everyone's coming here. Okay, let's go to Terry now. Hi, I'm Terry B. Hall. I'm with Next Home Realty in Fort Lauderdale, and I handle the South Florida area from West Palm to North Miami. Um, we are super busy because people are coming here. Um, I, we're in a very limited 
of space. We can't, we're one metro area from West Palm to Miami. We have a hard stop on the east at the ocean and a hard stop on the west at the Everglades. And there's no protected wetlands, so we can't build out over that. So in order to build here, we have to tear something down to build something new. Right now, three of our local golf courses are being developed. And that land acquisition for those golf courses was very high, which means those homes on those golf courses are very expensive for three, two pools can run expensive for this area, like 800 to a million right now for just a plain ranch style house. Um, our average home value is around 450 right now. Um, mm -hmm. Although it seems like it's much higher than that because I'm, we're closing at a higher rate than that. It feels like when we're putting in offers, we're usually competing with about mm, maybe 12 to 20 offers depending on the property and properties are trading around I've seen everything from 20 to 70,000 over asking. Um, a lot of contingencies waived, the ones that'll waive their inspection contingency. It's not as bad as last spring when it was a feeding frenzy and people were waiving everything. Appraisal contingency, financing contingency, which is a really scary one, unless you've got all your ducks in a row and your inspection con you know, in contingency. So right now, I think the ones that are going a bit over that 30, 40, 50 over and waiving inspection and cash are the ones that are getting it. Well, yeah, that's, those are the ones that are seem to be winning out right now. We have a lot of cash buyers. Like of our offers, it seems like about yeah. half the cash, yeah. which is much higher than it's ever been since I've been in the industry. Cash doesn't get you inside the velvet rope anymore. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, okay. Speaking of the velvet rope, the lady who always gets inside, Kimberly Barton. <laughs> <laughs> well, good morning. Uh, my name is Kimberly Barton. I am the broker owner of Kinetic Realty. We're an independent brokerage boutique here in Annapolis, Maryland, the sailing capital of Maryland. We handle the hyper-local market of Annapolis as well as all of the metropolitan area of Maryland, which includes the Baltimore Metropolitan and the Washington, D.C. Metropolitan. And we're seeing... Um, a tale of two cities, if you will, uh, hyper-local in the Annapolis, the greater Annapolis area, which uh, the home prices average $758,000. Um, we are very, very limited in inventory. As of today, it's like 74, which is um, <laughs> ridiculously low compared to what you normally have as a five-year average. However, uh, those are going under contract in about six days. So because we have such a, uh, a tight market in Annapolis, uh, we are seeing a lot of buyers having problems. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of inventory in the first home buyer market range, anything under $400,000, um, other than you know, a few townhouses, as well as some condos, but you know, they're, they're really close to or at $400,000. So it makes it a little difficult for those people living and working in the Annapolis area. Um, as far as the uh, Maryland metro area goes, um, our average price points are a little lower, um, depending on what part of Maryland you're in. It could be anywhere from 380 as an average or you know, a million you know, closer to the Beltway when you're right outside Washington, D.C., those people who are living and working um, around the White House and so forth. However, um, we're seeing that we've got about a month's worth or less of inventory. Most houses are going under contract in Maryland under 26 days. Wow. So it's highly competitive, but it's not as freaky as some of the areas that we've been hearing about. For instance, you know, down there in, in uh, you know, the uh, Florida area or in Kevin's area, 
Um, but we are seeing people moving from the north down our way. We are seeing people leave Maryland for going down to Kevin's way and Terry's way. So it's, um, it's an interesting migration to watch how things are happening. We have noticed that as employers are starting to embrace um, people working at home, that we're starting to see a very big increase in vacant commercial space, which will be an interesting dynamic because our area is an older area, um, very historic in a lot of areas. So we don't have a lot of land to build on. And if we are going to build something new, it's either got to be like really, really tight, tiny, or we have to tear something else down. So it would be interesting to see some of these commercial buildings that are vacant and just sitting, uh, massive complexes, turn them into housing because we are seeing yep. that we are, we, we're extremely short on housing and we don't have a lot of new start developments building. Those that have started aren't going to complete until 2024 or later, which may be past the really crazy boom we're all experiencing right now. So it'll be interesting to see what the future brings. Let's come put a pin in that because repurposing commercial could be something we could really talk about. But I want to welcome Nicole, the queen of Alabama real estate. <laughs> Good morning, y'all. My name is Nicole Hartenbach, and I am in the Huntsville, Alabama market. I'm with Keller Williams Realty. And our market is a lot like Kevin's market in Savannah. We have just an enormous amount of people moving to the area, relocating from California, Utah, um, Virginia, and not that many people moving away. So, you know, that really puts us in a tight spot as far as inventory goes. You know, we've been sitting right at a month of inventory at, for the last, I mean, 18 months. I mean, and it's really just kind of staying, staying steady. In my Huntsville-Madison uh, metro, which, you know, there's there's Huntsville and Madison, those are the core cities, and then there's a lot of surrounding areas in North Alabama. But in that market, eight days on market, you know, and if it's under 400,000, it's like three days on market. So it makes it, it makes it tough, you know, particularly for our first time home buyers, we're seeing a huge amount of investors in the areas. I'm sure a lot mm -hmm. of y'all are, you know, everything from, you know, first time investors to, you know, institutional investors. So that's putting a lot of pressure on, um, you know, the primary owners, as well, but our average price point is about 350,000. So, you know, it's very affordable for people moving from other areas. You can buy a beautiful home for that, you know, on a quarter acre. And uh, so it's been really, you know, I think COVID has led a lot of people to, you know, seek out places like Huntsville, low cost of living. Um, it's, it's, you know, really beautiful. So, and we also have a military base that, I think really insulates us from a lot of the national up and down that we've been seeing, you know, even in the, you know, 2006, 7, 8, uh, we, we really, because of that government presence, we really are pretty insulated. So we're very fortunate in that way. But, um, but yeah, I'm excited to see what the rest of the year is going to hold. It's kind of starting to slow a little bit in mm -hmm. a way. Um, you know, we're still seeing 20 to even 40 offers on some properties. So, uh, you know, and I think with interest rates ticking up, we're seeing a lot more buyers jump into the, into the, you know, fray. So that's, 
that's just bringing even more pressure. So, but it's exciting and uh, I look forward to, uh, you know, the summer months. Okay, so I'm gonna throw some questions out here and I'm not gonna call on each of you. I just want you all to jump in. And if you hear something that is interesting that somebody else said, take the conversation in that direction. This is not a moderated debate. This is just us talking realtor to realtor and, and hopefully inspiring some people out there. What is it you wish you had known when you got into this industry? What is, what is something you wish somebody had set you down and said HGTV is lying? What is something you wish you had known? I can speak to that off the top because coming from business to business and global development, um, as far as business goes, I was used to people making decisions based on being business, you know, bottom lines, you know, quick decisions um, based on market research and things. When you get into residential real estate, you find out that's completely out the window. It's all emotional. Mm -hmm. So um, before we went live, Terry was talking about, um, you know, working with a buyer who, you know, doesn't want to make a move. And there are two people involved in that. Um, one does, one doesn't want to. It's emotional. That was the hardest adjustment for me. And no one could have prepared me for that. That would have been the biggest thing I needed to know because it took me a while to adapt. We almost need a counseling degree. It, you're all these not people. kidding. And it's, it's all over. Personalities are different. Um, and it, no decision is actually based on logic. I can show that because I'm a statistic kind of person, analytical. I show them all things black and white and that's just out the window. It's like, will my cat be happy here? Oh my God. <laughs> And I was not prepared for that. So I would go, this is an amazing deal. You don't realize it meets all your criteria and it's in this price range and da, 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 da. that didn't matter. They did walk away from something like that. It was blowing my mind repeatedly. So it was a real mindset adjustment for me. Interesting. Yeah. Do you feel like in this current market, you know, you have that conversation with somebody on the first house and then the second house. And then, you know, your hair is a mess and you're on house 15 and they're just like, whatever that that's, that's how I feel They they start listening to me as, as the process goes on a little bit more, you can try to, you know, put your therapy hat all day long, but at some point yeah. it shifts and they do start listening to you, which is a well, nice, it's, a nice it's interesting because one of the biggest, um, I guess, aha moments I had, I held the record in my former brokerage for the number of homes I sold a buyer before I got them to buy. Um, 385 homes. I showed literally inside 385 homes with this buyer. No, man. Oh my God. Yes. You're a um, for punishment. <laughs> I mean, I'm known for being very persistent, but the fact was I wasn't, I didn't understand the emotional things that that person was going through. And of course, you know, it gave me an opportunity to see a lot of inventory. But when I did a forensic download on it, I realized I made these assumptions and I wasn't tuned in. So, you, you, you know, you know, nowadays you can kind of, you know, have that conversation right out of the front door and kind of, you know, drill down. But that was a real big aha moment. Like I wasn't, I wasn't clued into how they're emotionally responding. 
Um, of course, the, 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 the 386th home that I showed that he bought, I saw what happened. As soon as he walked in the door, he didn't see anything. I felt his body shift. Mm -hmm. I, I something happened. I could feel it. He didn't want to see the rest of the house. He said, this is it. Let's write. And I went, you don't want to see the rest of the house? Because um, I was shocked. But the whole time I'm writing this offer for him, I'm thinking, is he going to change his mind? I mean, he's seen 385 homes. What what was it about this one? So it just sang so, to him. Was that? It just sang to him. It did. And then after that was a big, I, I, I had to throw out common sense, logic, you know, all of that thing that I, I had already always relied upon. I had to go for, you know, does it do this to them? Does it sing to their heart? Is it emotionally attached? So I literally had to make a mental shift for me, which increased my success rate because I no longer was going, you know, it's got to be, you know, numbers, bedrooms, baths, location. What they tell me they want is what they want. No, that's not true. So no one can prepare you for that. You have to physically go out because HGTV and these, you know, these, these shows on TV, people go, oh, I could go show three houses and write an offer. There's never just three houses. I mean, unless that's all you've got, but it, it was, it was a growth mindset for me and a mindset shift I had to have. Um, so it, I went into it with my eyes in one direction and I had to completely pivot to another direction. So. Interesting. Who else? You know, I tell buyers right up front when we're talking, I said, um, we're for, you know, doing our initial onboarding call and I'll say, I know this sounds corny, but you, you know, you may, we're, I'm taking down your wants and needs right now. We're discussing, you want this, how many bedrooms, how many bathrooms, what locations. But I said, you may end up buying something that looks nothing like this. And when you walk into the right house, your heart will tell you. And you'll walk in the front door and go, this is it. And you won't even go into the bedrooms. You may cancel the rest of the appointments for the day because this is it. And I said, so be prepared. And it's a wonderful thing when you're with somebody and that feeling like what you just described comes across. I love that. Um, but Bob, to go back to your question, which was what did you, what surprised you? What did you learn in this industry um, when you first came in? Since I came from a real estate centric career, I was in USAA home office insurance for 18 years. I was in lending. So I was always in a real estate centric and always in sales. I find not for me, but for other new agents coming into the field, the number one thing that they are challenged with is how to prospect. Mm -hmm. They don't know how to make a lead come to them, how to make their phone ring. And so, um, so that's been my observation of others in the industry. I know how to prospect because it's part of my DNA. I've you know, always done that. I think for me, I was surprised at how many of my sales came from my sphere. I thought I would be bringing more people in through advertising, which I never hmm. did. And oh, I, I, I see agents, they put billboards and bus benches. Bus benches are a big thing here. We no, had, no. I was working on my GRI and we had somebody come down from Tallahassee, our state capital. And she said, what is up with all the realtors on bus benches? Does that really work? <laughs> and half the room was going, yeah, yeah. I have never paid for a bus bench or an ad in a magazine or a billboard, but a lot of agents do. And I thought that's how agents got their business. And I was surprised at, I've never advertised. It's always been referral. So there's, there's that. In fact, one of the reasons why I wanted to connect up with Bob is I'm so by referral 
of my 52 closings last year, 50 were by referral. So only have yeah. two that were uh, two were signed calls or walked in on an open house. So I need to learn how to branch out more and embrace some things beyond referral, which is why Bob and I are together. Who else has an idea? Something you didn't know when you got into real estate, like hit you upside the head. So, you know, my, my background, you know, I was in automotive sales for 23 years. So I was always in a sales environment. Uh, my wife came in real estate first in 2013. And so I had a chance to watch her before I, I came into real estate in 2018. So I was pretty comfortable with the, what was going on. But what I didn't realize was that it was easier for me to sell a house than it was for me to sell a car. Hmm. I, I found it that it was, I, I was blown away that people would make decisions faster on houses than they would on cars. And this is pre-COVID, you know, hmm. crazy market. And it, so I was shocked, like, why didn't I do this sooner? <laughs> I've been beating my head against the wall for 23 years trying to convince people to buy a car and I was walking in and showing sometimes one or two houses and writing contracts uh, in my you know early in my career so I was shocked that how people had already made a decision to buy a house um, you know prior to you know a lot of times even connecting with them but in the car business, I had so many people that were just kicking tires and were comfortable yeah. kicking tires for months and months before they made a decision. So that was my takeaway from that. Interesting. Super yeah. interesting. Yeah. Anyone else? I'll share about the uh, beginning. I think for me, I'm, in, um, I'm an interior designer, so I'm in real estate seven years. And I see this consistently that people come into the business and the shiny penny, the next shiny object, and people bounce when they start, I'll get this, look at this, do that, do that, and they really get tracked off. So I think that if I was going back now, I had some good mentors and a lot of good training, but I think if in the beginning of that journey, you realize prospecting A is number one and your database is key, but prospecting is number one and just stay in that lane and do the work within that lane as opposed to buying this buying that trying this trying that because a lot of times what I've seen and I've experienced that myself early on is that there's no easy way to do it once you can get the main focus down which is how to really prospect right then you can add these other components in because while they'll help with the business, they're not going to be the business. And I still see that today. You know, everybody's vying for our attention. How many emails do you receive where somebody's selling us something? It's like ludicrous. Yeah. But people still buy into that. And, and I learned something early, even investing in things. Always question the ROI. For these companies selling things, a lot of times when you get into a deeper conversation with them, they don't have the data to give you to support purchasing that. So we're like easy targets because everybody's kind of looking for the, you know, the, the, the answer. This is going to be- They see us as ATM machines. They call us up, we give them their, our card. Yeah. And I love, the, I love the line they use, which is just one sale, it'll pay for itself. <laughs> How many times have we heard that, Anne? 
Yes, uh, a lot of times. So that's my two cents. Sorry and to jump on that, but yeah. Piggybacking <clears throat> off of Anne, something I wish I had really internalized when I was just starting out is that real estate is simple, but it's not easy. You know, I mean, you know what you have to do. It's not rocket science, but it's it's not easy to do that because of all the things distracting you or, you know, oh, I've got to run here or, oh, this, you know, client needs to see me in 10 minutes. So, you know, the playbook is it's, you're, it's not rocket science, but, you know, it isn't it isn't easy. So that's just something. And I wish I had gotten into real estate when I was like. 16. That's another thing I wish I had done. <laughs> same, same. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to borrow that from you. Real estate is simple, but it's not easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Trademark. Now you, you're, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you're in a real estate family, right? Yes. So I'm a third generation realtor. Right. So um, my. So there's no excuse for you not getting in earlier. Yeah. No. Well, I was 26. So it's not like I, you know, I was pretty. And you're 27 now. So. No. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. I, I don't, I don't know why I think because I saw my mom, you know, in real estate every day, you know, I, for some reason wanted to try my own thing. I, I think that's a, a, a kid, a kid thing, but looking back on it, I wish I had, you know, graduated college and jumped straight into it. So. One thing I found is that it's hard to take time for yourself. Yeah. If you take time for yourself, your client or someone will let you know how disappointed they are that you didn't do this one thing for you, for them. Yeah. How do you carve out time for yourself in your schedule? Because for anybody who is not in real estate, you think that, oh, I love real estate. It's such a flexible schedule. Wrong. Mm-hmm. You, you now, I don't have any bosses. You have 30 bosses and they all want to buy or sell a house right now. How are you managing self-care and time for yourselves in your schedule? I'll tell you a secret, and you guys probably do this a little bit or maybe a lot, but one little way, like if the little bits of time that we have for ourselves, like maybe an hour for a facial or a massage or get your nails done or what have you, or, or just nothing, is if, you know, clients never want to hear that you're doing any of that. They don't want to even hear that you're at lunch. I'm sorry, I can't take your call. I'm at lunch. Um, So you always need to reply. I'm in an appointment. Can I get back to you? Can I text you later? And it doesn't mean that can't be a nail appointment, but don't say you're ever doing something personal because they don't, then they, they feel like you value that personal. So that's helped me have time to do things for myself. You know, you can't quite do that for vacation, but at least for those little times, bits of times that you have, you know, during the week, just always say you're in an appointment. Don't ever say it's something. Oh, and, and I never like just say it when I get back to my computer, because your computer could be in your car. It could be at your desk at home. Right. It right. could be on the couch in front of real housewives. It could be anything, but you don't want to tell them that you don't want to say, Oh, when I get back home, I'll reply back. You always want to sound like you're getting back to the office, which instead of saying office, just say my computer. But anyway, they'll always in an appointment thing works like a charm. Who else? So when it comes to self-care for me, it's, you know, we, uh, it's my wife is a full-time realtor as well. We consistently book uh, trips. So like next week, we're going to Puerto Rico for four days. In June, we're going to Cancun for a week. So we're consistently pre-booking our next uh, trip so that we have something to look forward to (laughs) because that's, 
a lot of times that's what helps keep us motivated throughout the, the, the daily grind. Um, another thing that I've recently started doing is, is letting clients know, especially in the first appointment, what my hours are. I'm available from this time to this time. I'm available um, on weekends from this time to this time so that they know going in that I'm not going to be their pen pal, you know, texting them at two o'clock in the morning and stuff like that. Uh, and, and, that and so when I get home, I will do a little work, but then I, I try to have a hard, hard stop at 7 p.m. unless it's something that's already prearranged. And then I, I give myself some time to, you know, debrief, spend time with the family, you know, binge watch some TV, whatever I need to do to, to disconnect so that I can show up the next day in my best version of myself and not be burnt out. Because real estate and clients that will let you work 24-7 if you let it. And, and I've just had to just say, I want to be in this for the long haul. I don't want to, you know, burn out and be sitting on the side of the road with uh, yeah. my mind gone. Yeah. No, it's interesting, Kevin, because I know early on, um, I was just, you know, you, you, you just take all your clients, you know, anyone who comes to you. And I remember that one client emailed me at three o'clock in the morning and she had already signed a buyer agreement. We were going to go out and look at properties and I've been sending her things. We had our discussions and and at three o'clock in the morning, she sent an email. And at eight o'clock in the morning, I got another email that she was breaking our by agreement because I didn't respond in 15 minutes to her 3 a.m. email. That was a real moment in time where I went, oh my gosh. I mean, where did I fail saying I'm up 24 seven? Um, because a lot of people, if you don't do what Kevin does, it's set expectations of your availability and how you work. They're just going to assume that, you know, when they're off or, or there's a holiday, you're going to be there or at 3 a.m. in the morning. Um, so that was something that very early on, I had to start ex setting expectations. I also determined what type of client do I want to work with? Because there are some that they have unrealistic expectations and demands I don't want to work with them. I don't want to work with the bullies who just think, you know, this is, no, I'm going to tell you how you're going to work with me. Um, so I think if we each realize who we work best for, we're going to be our best selves. We're going to show up and really serve those clients. Most every client that I've sold over my career has turned into a friend. So, you know, when they text me at, you know, 7 a.m., you know, if I'm up at the phone, I'll text back, hey, good morning. Um, but you have to know how you are comfortable working and setting the expectations, like Kevin said, that's essential. You have to know what you're capable of and what's going to cause burnout and what's going to give you that, that, that passion in the morning to get up and just do what you need to do. So, I'm so bad at setting boundaries, but I want to hear the story and what happened with the person that said they wanted to break their buyer agreement with oh. you and tell us what happened uh well I called her and she just was very matter of fact uh I sent you at 3 a.m the houses I wanted to see I didn't get a response you should have responded within 15 minutes you've not met my expectations and according to our agreement you know this is and I said but it doesn't say I'm available 24 7 I mean that's just unrealistic and she was just extremely curt and I realized 
she did me a favor because if she was going to be that way, I'm not going to be able to serve her because I'm not, I don't like that. I don't like her because she's doing these things. So if I don't feel like there's a relationship there and we respect one another, I don't think I can perform as well as I would if I was showing my best friend properties. So while I was bummed, I realized she actually did me a favor because that was the first clue she yeah. was going to be one of those difficult clients yeah. down the road. I, I mean, can I imagine that we're in the middle of uh, escrow and then she just says, well, I don't want the house now. So that was my thing. I, I bet you that would have been it. She must have that lack of commitment. So she decided not to buy a house and she is still to this day renting and moving from place to place. And I don't have anything to do with her. It just happens that one of the other agents in my former brokerage got her for rental. And she's just like, oh my gosh. So that's what happened. Yeah. We get to choose who we work for. And that's the best part of the business. And yes. some, sometimes when you're a brand new agent, you're like, oh my God, I need every commission. I got to make the money. And you put up with things that you later on realize were abusive. And let's just call it what it is. It's abusive. Three in the morning phone calls, abusive. You know, some of the crap that we get yelled at for, abusive. And they're going through their emotions. I get it. But we don't have to take that abuse. And when you reach the point in your career where you can determine, I'm sorry, I'm just not the right agent for you. I'm. You want to list your house $50,000 higher than whatever, or you want to you want to treat me in this manner, or you want to treat my, worse yet, my staff. One thing when you treat me, you treat my staff wrong, and I'll come for you. Okay. Then I'm sorry, we're just not the right brokerage for you. And but that is power. And that is power, because I remember there was, there was a, um, a man who was actually going on all the brokerages websites and looking at photos, and he would pick out people, the realtors that he wanted to call. He wasn't calling for the real reason of transacting transacting a real estate deal he's calling to have dates so you know he would target and he came into our office and i apparently was one of his targets at this point and his thing was you know well let's go out to lunch first i'm like no, no i don't do that so you have to set those expectations then i realized because you know we all sent out this alert this is who he looks like this is what he drives to the debt and i'm like oh my gosh so you do have some weird things. You have to, you have to know yeah. what you will and will not do. And obviously you've got to vet your clients, but um, there are all kinds of things that we run into in this business that are just not like any other business. I mean, what business out there do you give all of your personal contact, telephone numbers and email addresses and tell people you're going to be at an open house where you're alone? Yeah. I mean- so, you, you know, you do have to put your antenna up, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a different business than most businesses, yeah. good and bad. And did you want to contribute? Yeah, you know, to Kimberly's point about um, people. So I think back to what, what's in the beginning, um, what you would have done differently. I think that a super important thing is to have a mentor in the beginning, a solid professional, which is difficult because we don't know enough ourselves a lot of times. I mean, right. I do as an adult, but I'm looking at 
really newbies that are coming in. And, and so I remember when I started, I was with Sotheby's and I will say so much about that brand in terms of professional and, and um, knowledgeable. And I recall one of the agents that was very seasoned and I kind of latched on a little bit and asked a lot of questions. And she said to me, and you need to decide who your buyer profile is going to be, your avatar, which was kind of a foreign language. And I said, well, I don't really have, I just started, you know what I mean? What, what do you mean by that? And she said, who's the ideal client you want to work with as a buyer mm -hmm. and start to develop that? So I did. And one of, um, they used to give leads if you were at the office, like the up desk. And I recall refusing some because I saw the information with that and thought that's not for me. And I had colleagues say, are you kidding? You're not taking that lead. You don't have any business. And I said, guess what? I don't want that type of business. And that's what she said in the beginning, stay true and stay on that track. And you will start to attract those people and know who those people are. Because I have seen over the years and still do, even with very seasoned professionals, running everywhere like chickens without the head and many times not even qualifying them. I mean, that's kind of basic, you yeah. know, qualifying the client right now because you're not going to get a deal done without being qualified, not in these markets. So yeah, I think mentorship, coaching, that's the other thing because you're looking at numbers. So you have not a lot of resources and this is out here, it could really help you, but I can't afford it. But then can you not afford it? So I think new agents, if they can get, you know, unpaid mentorship and maybe work it out uh, business-wise, or they can afford to even start with maybe not one-on-one -on -one like this, but some sort of group coaching, but good coaching. You know what I mean? Because everybody says there's a coach. I know in so far, but, you know, everybody is a coach, but how good are you really? Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that is very instrumental. It sounds like Southern Bees really had someone there that could mentor you. And I agree. When I went to interview for brokerages at, when I got my license, um, I didn't know what I didn't know because I'm coming from a different field. And the, the, I'm fortunate that I landed with a local brand who was extremely strong in our area and had one of the most respected uh, office managers, owners, and she was extremely beneficial to me because I could emulate her and she could redirect. But there are a lot of people that go into these places and they're only looking at what's the commission split? I want the most. Yeah. And they're not getting that incredible experienced agent to help them through things because this is it's a simple business, as was said, but it can be very complicated in a lot of things. There are a lot of moving parts. And there's an incredible risk for making a mistake that will not only bankrupt you, but it will bankrupt your, your brokerage. Yeah. So you have to be extremely well-trained. And I think a lot of brokerages do a disservice to the public by not having well-trained agents on the street good segue to we'll make this our final question because i want to honor your time and get you out of here is the brokerage system broken 
I find a lot of brokers are puppy mills. They hire 40 or 50 agents a month because they're losing 30 or 40 on the back end. They've got to support their box in each city. So they have to have 50 agents each paying fees into the box. And I won't say brands, but I, I just feel like some of them don't pay attention until an attorney calls. And well, as that's, long as- That's dangerous. Yeah. And, and the fact that what happens when that happens, I agree, it's, uh, it, it is in some cases broken. There are some excellence out there. Um, but I, I remember one of the brokers in the area was advertising on all the, you know, Indeed, Monster.com, and they were baiting and switching. They're, they're saying, you know, marketing brand manager, um, client concierge. The problem was none of that was real. It should have said real estate agent for sales. So all of these applications were coming in for the wrong position. They were attracting the wrong people. And then these people got into it without realizing, wait a minute, you want me to do what? No, I thought this is what I'm doing. Um, so, and it is to fill spaces in their brokerages. And then they just put you out there. You go through a two-week, you know, uh, orientation, and then throw you out there with very little oversight. That is the wrong way to be. You know, coming from my background, you know, you did not go out and start trying cases and defending criminals when you got your law degree. You had to intern. Then you had to work under all of these partners at firms. You weren't just going to be thrown out there. You had to get seasoned. You had to have the experience. Whereas in the, the real estate industry, you know, you get your license and they throw you out in the pool and they start swimming. Um, it's a disservice to the, the new agent and it's dangerous for the public. So yeah, it's, it's, it's got to have higher standards and we have to have better trained people. Too many moving parts. Yeah. too much risk and you know the clients don't know what you don't know exactly. so if they hire you thinking you're going to protect their interest and you really don't have that ability to anticipate potential problems like it's going to be a problem all the way down the line what so. do you all think let me ask this you know it's funny because no matter who you speak to in what state the same sentiment is shared, right? Because the bar is so low getting in. So what do we actually have the capability to do something about? Because implementing laws and regulations really don't do much. There's just more fines and more fees. What it really comes down to is the responsibility is on the broker. But what I've seen, even in great brokerages where there's tons of training, it's there, it's literally handed on a plate and then the, the agents don't take advantage of it, exactly. you know? That's true, yes. Maybe there's nobody there keeping them accountable. Have you done this? Have you done this? And I think you're right there. That, that's an important aspect, accountability. Because the numbers, their sales might be great because we had agents that their sales were great, but they weren't turning in their paperwork until after closing. And then you find out it's wrong. Their paperwork, yes. And you're like, oh my gosh, here in the state of Maryland, um, the EPA can come in at any time and you have to pull your contracts. If you don't have specific initials and signatures in the right order, they will fine you. 
and it's not little fines. And your E&O insurance does not cover that. And the EPA can shut you down. So the agents that are just like, you know, Wild West with their, their paperwork, they can keep you, they can put you out of business. So there has to be accountability. I don't think there's enough of it. But the flip side to that is, you know, the flip side to that is this. Because we are independent contractors, right, 1099s, there's so much they can require, so to speak. But I do know um, in Keller I was with, they implemented like a new agent that you had to go through that process. So it kind of forced some accountability and I see other brokerages, but you can't really mandate. You can strongly suggest because we are independent contractors. So it's like a weird place to be in. Could you not, if somebody refused to do the training that, you know, your brokerage required, could you not just pull their license? I mean, you do have- That's exactly what the broker should do you do have some control over it, you know, and I think it's difficult too to compare, and this is more national brands, but, you know, a Keller Williams in, uh, you know, Huntsville, Alabama, that broker might operate very differently than a Keller Williams in somewhere in Texas, you know, so it's very. And we're not picking on Keller Williams for anybody's asking. Yeah. When I am, I love Keller Williams. Oh, Keller Williams has some of the best training. When you're a new agent, go to Keller Williams. I'm trying to be agnostic. (laughs) (laughs) anybody else want to wrap up on that question i I think just you know as as they were sharing you know one of the things that brokers should do whenever they're interviewing agents is is let them know especially when so a new agent versus someone that's leaving a brokerage and coming to them if you're a, a small boutique brokerage and you really don't have the staff time or resources to take a brand new agent and mentor them along through the process of 12, 18 months of getting them ramped up, then you're almost doing a disservice to that new agent Mm -hmm. uh, by taking them on because they're gonna need a lot of handholding versus a Hollow Banker, I'm not gonna say Keller or or any other big brokers that has um, the the process in place to, to do that in-house uh, has the coaching and mentoring already built in. That is a place where a new agent should start where it's already laid out versus saying, I'm a, I'm a new brokerage. I just, you know, Kevin Thomas broke brokerage and I'm going to hire 15 brand new agents. Mm-hmm. Well, if I'm still in production and I'm still trying to <laughs> do work myself, I'm not doing them any service and I'm just giving myself another headache. So um, let, let me speak up for the independent brokers here, two of us on this call. Yeah. Um, I think we have a much more personalized, detailed approach rather than teaching a class to 40 people who 30 of them may not be paying attention. Mm-hmm. I think the one-on-one detailed approach has benefited a lot of people in our side. So let me let me just show the other side of that coin because they okay. may have their systems lined up and their books printed and their, their big whatever's that they're feeing you for each month rather than just have you sit down with me and I can show you face-to-face what the mentorship Anne was talking about having that it can happen much more effectively I think in a boutique but and, that's, a, that's I, an arm wrestling fight for another day and I do go right into that as well because I one of the agents that I have on staff has been at the big brokerages and she's been failed by all of them 
um, coming to me. She's like, I've been in the business this long. It's almost 12 years now. She says, no one's ever gone over this with me. No one's ever done this. No one's given me this one-to-one. So I agree. It, it, it's, it's how it's managed. It's yeah, just like correct. anything. It's a trickle down thing. So I think that's well, why I'm, teams have been so popular too. Yes. Lately. You know, I mean, it's even more, you know, that you have some mega teams, but I know in my case, I mean, you know, there's three agents on my team, so they get all of my attention. Yes. Yeah. So, so that wraps Kevin's idea in with the, the smaller concentration. Mm-hmm. So we can both be right. <laughs> thank you all for doing this thank you bob for having us it's been great and i want you all to connect on social media in my mind you all know each other because i talk to you each week in my yeah. mind you guys sit down and have wine behind my back and don't invite me and i'm like <laughs> why am i not invited so in my mind y'all are all good friends living in my head so please make that real in life get to get to facebook friend each other and get and we'll do this again. Uh, probably I'll pr- do this every quarter. Okay. And I'll meet Look forward to it. Together. It was nice meeting everyone. Nice to meet you too. Thank you. Refer to each other. Absolutely. Take care. Yes. Take care. Bye. See ya.